Thank you very much. Our new policy worked uh, reasonably well this time. There's always a danger when you have people coming and going uh, sort of in the middle of the ceremony because there are some people who take it as an opportunity to get up and leave with the rest of the group. And uh, so the deacons have been forewarned to uh, watch the... uh, the hatches, as we would say in the naval service, uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, before I go to our, our scripture reading, I would like to uh, bring your attention to our spe- special bulletin. You have uh, a special bulletin that hopefully was handed to you as you entered, and the special bulletin commemorates for us today. Veterans Day. It's a little dark on the right here, but hopefully you can see the one you have in your hand. And Veterans Day is a very special day to our nation. It's a special day. It should be a special day to each one of us as well. And the bulletin that you have in your hand, first of all, would like to thank uh, Scott Craig, Scott's not, not here today, but uh, Scott Craig and Kathy Haley, and Kathy's not here today either, so uh, I can thank them without embarrassing them, but they are the ones that uh, worked on the special bulletin, and uh, they are the ones to thank when it comes time to having that in your hand. Uh, we've had others work on special bulletins as well. As a matter of fact, Hal worked on the uh, Constitution Day bulletin that we had. And just a word about that. What I'm trying to do is highlight possibly monthly special days that I believe are important to us as a church, important to us as a nation, and that teach us and our children about our spiritual heritage. And this morning I'll work on, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about our spiritual heritage and the example we have for service. But this morning, when we look at Veterans Day, as we understand the importance of it, Veterans Day is about remembering and honoring those who have served in the military services of our nation. Every now and then we'll confuse this day with Memorial Day or Memorial Day with Veterans Day. Memorial Day is to remember and honor those who have died in military service to their country. But today, Veterans Day is to honor all who have served. And periodically, and I hear this uh, very often, it's often spread out to uh, other organizations, to anybody who's, who's ever served somehow, somewhere, in their nation. But it's really not designed for that. It's uh, tailored and it's focused on the military service. And that's why we had our military personnel stand at the beginning of this service. And the idea behind this is that we absolutely must not forget the sacrifice, not merely those who have died, because that's important, but it's those who have given their lives 
whether they lost their life in service to their country, but have given their time, their effort, uh, and their lives, really, to the service of our nation. You'll notice, and one of the reasons that we want to have a bulletin, again, is a focus on our children. I would like to believe as adults that most of you are familiar with Veterans Day and what it means. But so often we don't teach our children. And I'm relatively certain they're not learning these things in school anymore. And so we provide the bulletin for you as parents to use at home with your children and to reinforce what we're trying to teach here in church. On the inside cover, you'll notice the history of Veterans Day. And I encourage you to do some research yourself because we have just a very small caption here that says, On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, an armistice or temporary cessation of hostilities was declared between the Allied nations and Germany in the First World War, then known as the Great War. And I remember one of my questions as I was growing up. When did we start calling it the First World War? When did we start calling the Second World War the Second World War? And uh, there's no real date, but it just became the First World War and then the Second World War. But it was then known as the Great War, and it was all known as the War to End All Wars. And, of course, we know that that is non-biblical because it certainly didn't end all wars. We've had many since then. Commemorated as Armistice Day beginning the following year, November 11th became a legal federal holiday in the United States in 1938. In the aftermath of World War II, the Korean War, Armistice Day became Veterans Day, a holiday dedicated to American veterans of all wars. And every now and then there are those who attend church who have a more pacifist approach to um, service to the nation, the military, or their spiritual lives. But we have to understand that the Bible is not a pacifist book, and it doesn't support pacifism, even though many people will turn to the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, here it says, turn the other cheek. Well, as many of you know, I wrote my master's thesis on that passage, and it has absolutely nothing to do with pacifism. Nothing. It has everything to do with being gracious to others. And I believe that passage, when I finally finished my thesis, uh, is under, well understood today by people who do not use it in a pacifistic way. They simply say, well, you should have just turned the other cheek. What do they mean? Well, they didn't mean that they should get beaten up. Then then you should have just forgot it. Let it go. And that's exactly what that figure of speech means. But in Psalm 1839, the psalmist is saying at the bottom of the first page, You equip me with strength for the battle. You've made those who rise against me sink under me. And so the Word of God authorizes military force for defense of the nation. And because it does, thank God, God, I say that sacredly, honoring God, we have had a very rich military uh, military history. And so it's important for us to continue to remember that we really were founded upon spiritual principles, and one of those spiritual principles is 
military victory. You must be able to defend yourself in a fallen world. Satan's world is full of conflict. And the United States military has been our great defense for over 230 years now. And it's important for us to teach our children that. We'll talk about maybe some of these other facts at the beginning of the next service. Our scripture reading is in Matthew 26, 36. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, 36. And please use the bulletin at home uh, to talk and teach your children. Continuing my thoughts about Veterans Day and service. Matthew 26 finds our Lord after the Passover meal with his disciples. He's gone out from what we call the upper room, crossed the Kidron Valley, and really begins to ascend the heights of Mount Olives. And he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane was a, uh, a favorite location of our Lord to go and to pray. It was quiet and it was, in many cases, uh, secluded. And so he finds himself very often in Gethsemane. Uh, and on the trips that I've made to Israel, it's always been uh, a joy, a pleasure, to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and spend a few quiet moments there uh, in prayer. But beginning in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. The name Gethsemane means oil press. And oil press, for those of us who don't, who may not realize, in the Garden of Gethsemane there were many olive trees. And so Gethsemane meant that there was also an olive press there. And while we don't think of this often, there's special meaning to us. There's a special analogy here to Gethsemane and what was happening with our Lord the night before he was crucified. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So you sit here and I'm going over to the to the large group of the disciples, he says this, and I'm going over there. I'm going over there to pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful. Sorrowful here tells us that in his human nature, he's filled with emotions because he knows what's coming. He knows the events that are before him and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, to the three, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Exceedingly sorrowful here. The word means to be encompassed about. It means to be surrounded. That's what this word means. So there's great pressure on our Lord. 
And so the analogy of Gethsemane, the oil press, where we would use the olives and press out the oil from the olives, our Lord is now under great pressure himself. It's a marvelous analogy. Verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so, this first portion of our passage begins to show us some of the the qualities of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's reflective and even can be seen as an illustration for those who serve in the military. Why? Because our Lord is going to be demonstrating great selflessness. He is going to be serving. And so, the analogy that we have here for those who have served in the United States military is that they have selflessly given of themselves. Now, I know that there are some who may join the service for other reasons. But the fact is that the vast majority, if not all, serve at the pleasure of their service. And they go and they do what their service requires. Many try to manage their, uh, their time in service, some more successful than others. But essentially, the military sends them where they're needed and where they can serve. And our Lord was sent to earth. Why? To serve. And we, we may not always come to that conclusion, but what did our Lord say his purpose was for coming? Hold your finger here and let's turn over to Matthew 20. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 24. And here the Lord is with his disciples again. You'll, you'll notice that the Lord was almost never without his disciples. Periodically, he would leave them. He might go to pray. And he did that usually very early in the morning. And then they'd have to find him, try to search around, find him. He'd be up in the hills praying or something. But he would take his disciples with him. And in this particular incident, this episode, we have a mother, the mother of James and John again, mother of the sons of Zebedee, coming and asking a special favor of the Lord. And the favor, of course, uh, makes the other disciples jealous. And the Lord says, well, you really don't know what you've asked. And when we get to verse 24, when the disciples learned what the other, the other two, the mother had requested for the other two disciples, when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Why? Well, because they had requested a special place with the Lord. And, of course, the other twelve are jealous. They want that kind of a special place. So they're displeased with the ten because they, 
the ten are displeased with the two because they asked, and maybe even a little disappointed in themselves because they didn't ask first. But what does our Lord say to them? Our Lord said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, over the, the Gentiles. And those who are great exercise authority over them, again, over the Gentiles. Verse 26, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Serving is an important quality that we must develop as Christians. Why? Because it is critical to our Christian lives. The Lord says that's to be our attitude. We could say it's humility, and our Lord certainly demonstrates humility, but service. And so often that's lost on us. We are focused on self. And even those who would say, well, I don't know I'm so much focused on self, but I know that you know, I'm supposed focused on spiritual things, but it ends up to being very a, a very personal focus on spiritual things. It's not one that gives of yourself. It's, you know, where am I in my spiritual life? How am I progressing to spiritual maturity? Where am I going to be? And while it may be important for your personal spiritual advancement, really... You are trying to advance so that you will be a better servant. Verse 27. And whosoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Do loss. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If our Lord Jesus Christ can say, that I didn't come to be served. Who was he? He's the king. That's how he was announced. John the Baptist, who came before him, said to them to repent, change your mind about your spiritual life because the kingdom is at hand. How could the kingdom be at hand? Because the king was here. The king was on earth. In the, in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was simply a matter of accepting him for the kingdom to begin. There were some things that needed to happen in an interim there, but the kingdom would then be close at hand. But of course he was rejected. But the Lord says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And so back in our passage in Matthew 26, Let's turn back to Matthew 26. Again, my point here is that there are many qualities that we might find in someone who chooses to serve his country. And hopefully love of country, patriotism, is one of them. But possibly the main quality here is self-sacrifice. Giving of self. Instead of putting one's own desires first, the person puts the interests of others ahead of his own. And I think we, again, find that example in our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's illustrated in this passage. Let's continue on and see how this develops and how it comes out. Verse 30, 39 again. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, O oh my Father, 
If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The Lord was submitting himself to the Father's plan. Father, what do you want me to do? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ knows what the Father's plan is. He knows why he has come to earth during this, what will become known as the first advent, his first time on earth. And it will be to go to the cross. Why? To provide provide salvation. He will complete the work of salvation on the cross so that the entire human race has an opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father by simply believing in his work on the cross. And as we read on, verse 40, after he was finished praying, verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, you know, Peter is just a marvelous individual. He provides for us all of the foibles that we could ever hope to have. And the Lord addresses them. And it's just marvelous. I can guarantee you I would be asleep. I could replace my name. The things I've slept through would stun you. I really don't even like to mention some of them. I've missed planes at the gate by sleeping through the announcement. Your plane is here. I was even told that my name was called three or four times, and I was sitting right here beside the counter so I wouldn't miss the plane. Woke up, saw the plane backing. I said, where's that plane going? Well, you, who are you? Ingram. Well, we called your name. I was, I was sitting right here. Peter. Poor Peter. What could you not what, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so often that's true for us. You know, there are times when let's say you've read the word of God. And you could feel, you could sense God the Holy Spirit. And the word convicting is a fine biblical word. You could sense God the Holy Spirit convicting you that you needed to respond to what's here. But you managed to close the Bible and resist until that sense passed. I used to have some aviator friends in the Marine Corps that would say, woke up this morning and I just had this overpowering urge to go run three miles. So I laid down until the urge passed. (laughs) Now, that's not all aviators. I'm sure there were some ground pounders that did the same. But we do that in our spiritual life. You know, there's a sense here that I should be... There's something that God wants me to do. And we're able to somehow either rationalize it or put it off until it passes. So the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away 
and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, excuse me, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. What's what's the the anxiety that our Lord has here? Well, there are at least three. He knows the spiritual, excuse me, he knows the physical pain that's going to be involved in this act because it's going to come by way of crucifixion. And it's going to be painful just to get to the cross. Secondly, he knows the soul pain on the cross of enduring the guilt of the sins in the entire world. For three hours, he's going to endure that. And thirdly, he's going to endure a separation from God the Father. And those are at least three of the things that he knows are just hours away. And so he is under great pressure. But he chooses to accomplish the Lord's will for his life. And he goes to the cross and he provides salvation. And it, when it was and when he was and when it was finished, he had great joy. Why? Because he had accomplished the Father's will for his life. For this time in his life. And that brought him great joy. As a matter of fact, we're told that that's what sustained him on the cross. Is knowing that he was accomplishing what God wanted him to do. And that brought him great joy. And I think for our military personnel, many of them, there are times when they know they're going to war. And we have many, many stories of those who have served writing letters, don't worry, Mom, I'm okay. Maybe the last letter they ever wrote. But many went to war knowing the grave danger that they were in, but they still went. And they gave of themselves selflessly and that's what we celebrate today what we honor today continuing in the passage and he came verse 43 and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy so he left them and went away and prayed the third time saying the same words this is the Lord praying at least three times Father, if there is another way, if there's any other way for salvation to be completed, to be provided, I pray that we do it that way. And three times, the Father, we could say, did not answer this prayer. This prayer, But he sustained him through his time on the cross. Verse 45, Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. In the face of the betrayer, in the face of the military detachment that was there to get him, he didn't try to flee. He said, this is where I need to be, and this is what I need to do. And again, he selflessly gave of himself. So, our Lord chose to make this great sacrifice in service for the human race. 
And his example is our greatest illustration of self-sacrifice and service. So that on Veterans Day, it's important for us to remember those who have served and to honor them, to thank them. We probably all have in our lives certain special people who have uh, been an example to us or have provided that picture for us in our lives. For me, it has been my family. My mother, well, I could, I could start earlier than that because uh, I know that we, I had uh, a great uncle who served in the Great War and uh, a grandfather who served as well. Some of the other history there is a little sketchy. I'm sure it's not because I wasn't told. It might be because I printed over that neuron. But in my, in my family with my mother, my mother was a Navy nurse, and she served during World War II. As a matter of fact, that's how she met my father. He was a Naval Surface Warfare Officer, and he served aboard destroyers. And when we were able, as a family, to encourage him to talk about what he did, we found out that he served aboard destroyers, that he served in the Solomon Islands, that he was there at Guadalcanal. You know, and for all those Marines that said, well, the Navy left us at Guadalcanal, they'll leave us again, my father would repeat, would say, oh, I never left you. Because when the capital ships were pulled back to preserve them, the destroyers and the PT boats stayed. And they fought at night and during the day whenever they could. And many of them lost their lives. There are many of them at the bottom of Iron Bottom Bay, which is right there in the Solomons. But Dad remembers firing in support of the Marines ashore and carrying mortar ammunition ashore. Uh, carrying out the wounded. And that's where he had severe hearing loss. So that probably after about three or four years of World War II, his commanding officer sent him to uh, Pearl Harbor to see a doctor to see if there could be any, if he could help him in recovering some of his hearing. The doctor said, I, I can't help you. And because of your hearing loss, you cannot go back to your ship. I need to send you back to the States to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital where we have specialists for hearing. Well, Dad did not want to go. And to his dying day, he often said, I shouldn't have gone. I should have refused to go back to the States. They'd have had to use me there in the Pacific somewhere. But he did. And it was God's plan for his life because that's where he met Mother. My uncle... An uncle by the name of Benjamin was the, my father was the oldest brother. My mother did not have any other brothers or sisters. But my father had two younger brothers, Benjamin, Benjamin Ingram. Joined the naval service as well and was a pilot. Stayed in the United States for uh, most of the war as an instructor down in Pensacola. Finally, demanding that he have an opportunity to go serve in the fighting forces. He was transferred to uh, Flat Top where he was flying, uh, I, think, I think he was flying Hellcats if I'm not mistaken. 
F-4s, and he was shot down over Japan, flying missions over Japan. He was shot down. He got out of the plane in the South China Sea, and his wingman, who was uh, providing cover for him, uh, circled as long as he could, made sure he knew exactly where the, the position was, and then flew back to the USS Lexington, which was the flat top from which they flew. And because of squalls, they could not get to them, couldn't get to him that day. When they finally did arrive in the South China Sea for his rescue, they couldn't find him. Never found him. And therefore, he is listed as missing in action, presumed dead. And his name is on one of those marble slabs. I remember I've told you this before. In the punch bowl in Hawaii, where we have the missing in action. And my grandmother, uh, to the day she died, she believed that he would return. And I think every mother who has ever lost a son or a daughter or anyone from the family that way always believes that until they actually have proof that that son will return. But Benjamin never did. My other uncle, the youngest brother of the three, Robert, who is still alive, living in San Antonio, joined the Army Air Corps and flew Spitfires in England. And during one of the um, amphibious assaults, this one happened to be at Dieppe, he was flying with uh, his lead and was shot down. Shot down, and to hear his story about how he got out of the plane and parachuted into the English Channel is a remarkable story because he said, I did all the things that we were trained. Do this, do this, do this, do this. He said, I did none of them. I did none of it right. He said, I'm surprised I'm alive today. That I landed in the water, water tangled up in my parachute. He said, it's by the grace of God that I'm here. But he finally managed to get out from underneath his parachutes and all the shroud lines and got into his dinghy. And he said, I could see the lights over there of England and I could see the lights of France and he said I was paddling like mad to get to England and the current was taking me to France and so when he washed up on the beach in France he said there were two German soldiers waiting for him he said we've been watching you for the past you know, however many hours while you've been trying to paddle the other way knowing full well that you were going to be hours get up let's go he said "My, from the waist down I was frozen and they drug him and got him one of each under his arm and drug him down the, the, the beach until he finally thawed out. And he spent the balance of the war in a prisoner of war camp. Uh, but he survived prisoner of war camps. As a matter of fact, his name is mentioned in the book The Great Escape. His name is Buck Ingram in that, in that, uh, in that book. Uh, came back, stayed in the, the Army Air Corps, became the Air Force, flew all kinds of aircraft, had marvelous stories to tell, finally retiring uh, down at uh, Patrick Air Force Base. Uh, he flew in Vietnam. He flew with Air America in Vietnam, which is a clandestine organization that was um, positioned in Laos. Uh, but he's, to me, they are those who have served in my life. And I remember them. And I, I always enjoyed talking to my father. What little bit I could get from him because he was always upset that he didn't get a chance to stay in the Navy uh, and serve uh, as, as a career. But Uncle Bob, the same way. 
Uncle Bob, um, just phenomenal stories. And it's uh, men and women, to include my mother as a Navy nurse and others who serve, are the ones that we should honor and remember uh, on this day. And I think there are many locations where we can we can go to do that. Certainly you can do it at home. But here close uh, at hand is the uh, Air Force Memorial, which is just up 395, um, which is a wonderful place to go and read the history there. Uh, the Marine War Memorial is uh, close by as well, and there's other many other places where you can go. Uh, the Navy Memorial, which is in Washington, D.C. So I'm sure that you have you know, personal memories and those close to you who you can remember and, uh, and honor. And we must never forget them. And again, I think the analogy to our Lord in the garden who is faced with something that would prefer not to do. And for the most part, those who are in the military are not looking to go to war, but they simply know that it must be done. And there are some who, at the last minute, are unable to do so, but the vast majority go, knowing the danger and the sacrifice that they very well might make. And many of them did uh, pay the, the ultimate price. But again, today, we're not focused on those who died, but on all those who have served. And I think that's important for us to remember. Back to our, our bulletin. If you pull out your bulletin, again, you'll notice in the veterans' facts here, Today, there are over 23 million military veterans in the United States. This is in the inside on the, the right-hand page. Today, there are over 23 million military veterans in the United States, all to whom we owe a great deal of gratitude for protecting our freedom, both in peace and during war. As we assemble this morning in freedom and with great blessing, we have over 1.6 million people in the armed services guarding our liberty, with approximately one-third deployed around the world, and 60 fighting in, uh, 60,000 fighting in a war in Afghanistan that began in 2001. So we need to remember them, remember them in prayer, uh, remember them with our support, writing letters, whatever we might be able to do. But it's important for us to realize that they are the ones that stand between us and tyranny, foreign tyranny. Psalm 144.1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. This is the Lord who is doing this. And for those who are in the service, the Lord is part of your proficiency. And it should be part of your prayers and realizing that what you're doing there, you're doing is under the Lord. And the Lord promises that he will help prepare you for the job that lies ahead of you. Veterans Day. Let's remember them. Well, I wanted to press on in Acts 18. But five minutes, there's not much I could do. So I probably owe you a minute 
here and there over the seven years, maybe three or four. And so I will refund those to you right now. All of them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this marvelous nation that you've given us. The greatest nation that probably has ever existed in history. And the reason for that is because it does have a strong spiritual heritage. A spiritual heritage that came out of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Those coming to this land who were, by the, uh, for the vast majority, focused on spiritual things. And we know that our founders were preoccupied with biblical principles as they wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Father, we're thankful for those who have not only originally made this nation possible, but those who have defended it ever since um, our, our early wars, the wars of independence. We pray, Father, that we would understand the sacrifice that has gone into this service, that we would remember them, that we would honor them, and that we would also promote it with our, our youth so that we don't lose that sense of service and truly the honorable service that it is. And help us to understand also, Father, that the illustration for this, the analogy for this, comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself selflessly. He came to serve. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to save the lost, to seek and to save those who are lost. Father, help us to remember his great sacrifice for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.